Hey Scallywags, this is your host Scott from the future of Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. I couldn't pass up this chance to come back and just give you a quick message. Oh, how much we've evolved from these first episodes. Don't believe me? Jump way ahead to get a feel of who we really are. Hey, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but for instance, pick an episode in the 70s, 80s, or 90s to see what the future has in store. We found our groove, developed one hell of a tone, injecting episodes with humor, film analysis, symbolism, a spot of history, and of course, entertaining personalities. And how can I forget the euphemisms? We're talking pirates for heathen Aztec God's sake. There's no doubt we distinguished ourselves from this podcast genre by setting the bar for an energetic and fast-paced movies-by-minute show with just the right amount of high production value. You want Pirates of the Caribbean? Well, you got it, Savvy. So stick with us, you blooming cockroaches, and hang on for a supernatural swashbuckler ride. Together, we just might even answer life's age-old question. Why is the rum gone? Now hopefully you'll stick around and I'll see you in the future when we are no longer filthy bilge rat podcasting newbies. Now on with the show. The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Minute one of The Curse of the Black Pearl is finally here. So here marks our official voyage of exploring The Curse of the Black Pearl a single minute at a time. Let's cue the fanfare. Oh! Nice! I don't know about you, Heather, but I'm definitely excited to be tackling our first real episode and joining a cadre of other like-minded movie aficionados in the Movies by Minutes podcast genre. Oh, I'm so excited to analyze each minute and share our thoughts with everyone listening. Yeah, it'll definitely be fun. So obviously, we want you to stick around here at Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, but there's definitely enough love to go around, so check out some of the other great podcasts at MoviesByMinutes.com. And of course, this means paying homage to Alex and Pete over at Star Wars Minute. They're the founders of this genre and created a whole pipeline of other movie podcasts, and we're proud to be a part of that now. But getting back to my excitement, I'm essentially just a fan of period pieces, you know, pirate and seafaring movies, the adventure of these films that, you know, date back to my childhood was swashbuckling storylines in movies like Nate and Hayes. It's more of a traditional kind of pirate movie. And then there's the antics in movies like Swiss Family Robinson that my sister and I enjoyed tremendously as a kid. What's more than having, say, coconut bombs, pirate traps, bungling pirates, a giant tree house or tree fort. I don't remember quite what it was, but those are just some of the cool things that you always wanted as a kid to be part of. And, you know, these movies actually brought that to life. And so I'm looking forward to doing that and exploring this Pirates of the Caribbean Men with everyone out there in the pirate universe that we're going to have now. So what about you, Heather? Do you have a favorite pirate movie as a kid? I wouldn't say a pa- favorite pirate movie as a kid. I didn't watch a whole lot of movies. Ah, oh, blasphemy. <laughs> so I didn't really see pirate movie until Pirates of the Caribbean, but I really enjoy watching the period pieces and the different pirate movies we do watch these days. 
Yeah, it should be good to see kind of the juxtaposition between the both of us. You, say, haven't seen many pirate movies, and then myself, who was kind of a fan of some of those movies as a kid, to see how, or even how that has changed over time and how I think of them now. So it'll be fun to explore that as we move along. So let's get started. Minute one starts with the logo and title appearing out of a floating ember and kind of fog background. A ship emerges from an impenetrable wall of fog and draws near the HMS Dauntless. A young girl, Elizabeth Swan, standing at the bow is singing a melancholy sea shanty, A Pirate's Life for Me. From behind, a grizzled sailor, Joshimi Gibbs, frightens her with a hand on her shoulder and says, Quiet, missy. Cursed pirates sail these waters. You don't want to bring them down on us now, do you? And that ends the first 60 seconds of Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. So unless you have something else, what you say we just jump into it? I'm guessing Yo-Ho-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me is an appropriate place to start. Oh, that sounds like a great place to start. Yeah, the song is not only a key element, at least from what I'm taking a peek at this, it's not really the key element of this minute. It's really the cornerstone for connecting this ride to the movie. And actually, maybe we should play a quick clip from the version that's played during the Disneyland ride, and then we can follow that up by the one that Elizabeth sings during the first 60 seconds of the movie. That's a good idea because there's a big difference in the tone of each song. Yeah, I think it'll help the listeners out there to get an idea of what that might look like if there was some interchange between it or if you brought one song to the other and, and vice versa. So let's go ahead and do that. Yo, oh, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, we plunder, we rifle and loot. Drink up, me hearties, yo, ho. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot. Drink up, me hearties, yo, ho. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. The writers recognized the importance of the song, too, and in an interview I was watching, they gave full credit to Terry Rossio for making it happen. You know, they were wondering how to justify adding the song to a movie along with some of the other elements from the ride, yet they couldn't really just have a bunch of pirates going around singing in this whimsical Pirate's Life for Me song, and and it really would have changed the whole tone of the movie. So... Yeah, and, and I think that it would really make a big difference, you know, to bring that whole concept to the to the movie. It's because it's not really an animated movie or with you know, with like animation, cartoons and things like that. It really or is kind comedy. of a darker yeah. It really is a as a whole different type of movie, especially when you're bringing in things that maybe we haven't seen yet that I'm only guessing maybe include skeletons along the way. But can you imagine the shift in tone had Elizabeth Swan been singing the original version of the Pirate's Life for Me on the bow of the ship? Yeah, it'd be kind of a little too cheery for the er- the eerie fog that was all in front of her. Yeah, the the writers, you know, actually said that they would definitely have undercut the intensity. And so, if you're trying to get kind of this ominous feeling or get the the viewer to to really think of where is this movie going to be headed right away, so to ensure that they didn't dive into a typical typical Disney animated film territory, they really toned it down. And then when they had Elizabeth perform it, they kind of had her do it as if it was an old song that she had learned back home in England. And when I hear that, I can't help but think of it like an old nursery rhyme that's now say part of their entire Pirate of the Caribbean universe. It'd be for us like learning Ring Around the Rosie, but for them they had this kind of pirate's life for me was the jingle that every kid knew and and then uses and knows as an adult. So now I'm just curious as we're starting to do that. I know you were researching a lot about the song or at least looking into it. So I'm curious if you found anything that was cool. I actually found um, some interesting facts on the song. 
um, that kind of tie in with the ride. And um, Walt was actually concerned about what guests would think about or react to the pirates in the way they live. And so a an Imagineer named Francis Atencio came up to him and said, I think we should create a sea shanty and that would actually soften up the hardened criminals on the right. So he created the lyrics to A Pirate's Life for Me. Wow, yeah, I can only imagine that if you... You know, you're bringing a concept to Walt Disney and you're going to try and create this whole atmosphere or this fun-loving pirate ride that people's first instinct or when they're, their first connection to pirates when they go to a ride is not fun and, and family, but more pillaging and murdering and raping and, and stealing and all this kind of stuff that you think of a pirate, uh, but not necessarily something that, hey, family, hey, hey, little Billy, let's go jump in a ride and go see some pirates in action. Yeah, that's true. I actually wanted to mention that Atencio was was just an Imagineer. He's never written a song before. And so he was a little nervous when he was bringing this to Walt. He did get the inspiration from Yo-Ho-Ho and a bottle of rum that was in the novel of Treasure Island. Oh, that makes sense because that sounds familiar, actually. So Yeah, they kind of linked the two. Yeah, and you know, the the whole sea shanty thing, it's this kind of call and response, this heave and pull work song. And when I... The one that I think of most often is uh, a do Spanish uh, farewell and a do Spanish ladies. It was sung by Quint in Jaws because that's one of also my favorite movies, and he kind of does a similar kind of ominous tone. It's it's almost like a foreshadowing of what's going to happen when they go out on the boat to try and catch Jaws in this great white. And so I bring back and think about that. But you know, obviously this begs the question now: What's your favorite sea shanty, Heather? I think my favorite sea shanty is blow the man down and that would uh that was used it was actually used in the big bang theory recently when penny was making the penny blossoms oh yeah that's right because she was they were doing a work song and they were trying to put these together and sheldon was trying to get her to be able to work and create a workflow so that's like a perfect opportunity for pirates of the caribbean now to be entering pop culture at least in an indirect way because of the sea shanty i guess but pirates infiltrating pop culture on the Big Bang Theory. I guess that's something that we probably wouldn't have thought about too much. The Pirate's Life for Me sea shanty really wasn't actually the only thing that caught my attention during this first minute. I really almost had this obsession with the figurehead on the HMS Dauntless. Oh yeah, it was an obsession. You know, the Dauntless comes into view and... And the first thing that almost hits you center screen is the figurehead on this ship. And I was really like trying to decipher what it meant. And so I started looking into what is this thing? Does it have a specific meaning or is there any particular meaning for the movie? I I actually thought there had to be an Easter egg hidden within this coat of arms and this figurehead on this ship. And so I started diving into it. And we actually have a book that's coming that talks about the transition from the ride to the film franchise. And yes, it's still not here yet. And I've been waiting by the mailbox for this thinking it's got to come before the first episode so I can confirm this. But I did find some information online just a little bit. I mean, I scoured things like the the, the Pirates of the Caribbean wiki and some other places. And I found one reference that was maybe coming from this book that talked about this figurehead was actually the royal coat of arms for the United Kingdom. And so I really looked into it. And there are some similarities, but it doesn't quite match perfectly but anyways this figurehead on the hms dauntless in case you haven't seen it is actually this uh there's a crown that's at the crest of this so in the center at the top and then on each side you have a lion and a unicorn 
that are called the supporters. And then you have the coat of arms itself that has the four quadrants. And the lion and the unicorn are really symbols of the United Kingdom, the lion being England and the unicorn representing Scotland. And this is a combination that actually dates back to 1603. And within this coat of arms itself, you have quadrant one, three lions, and then quadrant four, three lions again, which are kind of the representation of England. And in the second quadrant is a is another lion that represents Scotland. And then in the fourth one, or the third one is Ireland, which is kind of this harp. And when I was looking at the coat of arms on the HMS Dauntless, I noticed that, hey, in quadrant three, there's a Fleur de Lis. And I'm thinking, where is this Where is this exactly matching up with the coat of arms itself? So there might be some artistic license. There might be some Easter egg that I'm still not willing to give up or think that there's something there that they had and used some symbolism. So I'm not quite sure. I'm almost to the point of this compulsion. If I can't get an answer through this book, then I'm going to be contacting somebody at Disney just to see if they can help me out or maybe allow me to sleep at night so I don't dive too far down into this rabbit hole here. My opinion is you just need to move on. We're past the minute now. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really now want to know what this is. And, and there's some interesting things about it. I mean, you can get into the colors of the coat of arms and stuff. You know, red being warrior, blue, truth and loyalty. The lion has this dauntless courage, which actually is interesting because it comes back to the HMS Dauntless. The unicorn being extreme courage and stuff. So it all really ties into the ship itself and maybe what we're going to see later on in the movie. And then there's this Fleur de Lis, which is purity. And I'm wondering how that's going to play out as we move along in different minutes, see what happens. So we'll find out and I'm definitely will keep you posted on how I'm doing with my obsessive compulsive disorder for this figurehead on this ship. But I, I thought I'd just give you a quick, if you can bear with me to quote Wikipedia, figurehead is a carved wooden decoration found on the prow of ships largely made between the 16th and 20th centuries and a large figurehead being carved from massive wood and perched on the very foremost tip of the hole actually adversely affected the sailing qualities of the ship. And because of this and cost considerations that led to figureheads being made dramatically smaller during the 1700s, and in some cases they were abolished altogether around 1800. So I'm not sure where this is leading or if I'm just diving into my own mind, but I'm hoping that I can get some answers and maybe find something out about this or Disney can give me some uh, hints or somebody that was associated with the film. But I, I don't know if I'll be able to ever let it go until I really get an answer. Or I'm going to have to make something up or somebody should at least mail me something or send me an email saying this is what it is or even pretend to know what it is because I couldn't even make out the full motto. And I was really standing really close to the TV and trying to get all different views if I could. I almost thought that this was like a three-dimensional object on this screen and I was trying to tilt my head around it but it's pretty crazy and i'm still not satisfied to be honest with you standing really close two inches away from the television maybe <laughs> yeah that's pretty close but i really needed to get that perspective on the other side and it just really wasn't working for me and and then I got so far as to thinking, and you know, with the symbolism, is I was really starting to look at Elizabeth Swan's dress while she's standing on the bow, and actually in this particular minute, and it looked like there's definitely kind of a floral print that's on this dress. But I started looking and thinking, maybe there's some tie to the Fleur de Lis, and 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 then it's also on her dress, and maybe it's not quite a Fleur de Lis, but there is some kind of shapes that are similar to that. And again, it comes back to the meaning of it being purity. And I thought, okay, a young girl. She's, you know, singing about pirates. So maybe there's an interesting juxtaposition there about her being pure, but singing about pirates. And then we have the old scallywag Gibbs who comes up behind her and talks about cursed pirates, who's more of a grizzled, as I said, character. So it'll be interesting to see where these characters go and how that goes as we progress during the, 
the additional minutes of the film. That's what I got for the figurehead. And uh, and again, if anybody out there can let us know, I'd be more than happy to take that on and, and see what you got. And maybe we can even share that on future minutes of what we found out. But that is where I'm at on the figurehead for the Bow of the Dauntless. So, do you have anything else to add, you know, as we wrap up this first minute? Only that I want to go back to the figurehead. I agree, you are a little obsessed with it. <laughs> and um, the colors, yeah, I think it's more they had to have it because of the boat, the time of the boat. But they had to make it look real. You've had me look at this closely. I've examined it. <laughs> Some things look like monkeys on there, but okay, I'll give it to you, lions. <laughs> I'm really um, trying to make the connection. It said in the royal crest that, or the coat of arms, that they are three lions there. So I am taking that as to being that they're actually lions, but maybe we'll have to get uh, more of a definitive answer on that for sure. Okay, we'll give you lions. <laughs> Do you have anything else to wrap this minute up? Well, actually, there's a couple of things. First, I mentioned Gibbs, and and we didn't really want to get into Gibbs too much, or or really Kevin McNally, who I think does an excellent job. He's almost like a natural-born pirate, it seems like, in this particular minute, and I'm really sold by his character and his acting on this. What I found is when I was actually reading part of the script, the original first draft of this uh, Curse of the Black Pearl script, and I thought it was really interesting because the description for Gibbs in this was that he was born old and skin of dark leather and I thought this is a perfect description that is somebody who is already born of that age and he's just really really kind of of the sea and then another thing that I had is that I'm really a fan of no opening credits I'm really just you know if you're really going to immerse yourself into a film the logo or the title appears and then boom you're into the movie and it's already starting and that's something i just love and pirates of the caribbean does that there's no whole list of actors or the directors or anything like that it's just logo it disappears and then you have fog and the movie starts and you're wondering really where is this going to take me so it, it takes you out of being that it's really a movie but it maybe puts you directly in the film because you're not being reminded that it's a movie. You're just being reminded that you're there watching this because you don't have all these credits going across the screen. Yeah, it was kind of nice to just have that opening. It was like, boom, you're into the movie, just like that. I also wanted to mention that Gibbs, when I first seen him, how I would describe him was a grizzled older man. Exactly. I'm not sure that he would appreciate no, that. No, he probably wouldn't. <laughs> uh, necessarily, but definitely that was, I think he fit exactly who they were looking for. So good call on the casting on that. But as I said, I think it dropped it, drew right into the movie and, and it had a great transition. Because even the, the writers, you know, I was listening to the writers talk about this opening scene. And they were, as a pirate movie, they were thinking people are going to have some preconceptions of, of where this is going to start. Like, they're going to think that Pirates of the Caribbean is going to open up. There's going to be a massive sea battle, cannons blazing, uh, fire, ships burning, and people yelling and gunfire and, and all this kind of typical pirate stuff. But what happened is that they took you back and it's kind of this really quiet scene that then out of the fog comes a ship and it's really this ominous setting. Like, what else is in the fog? What else is going to happen? And you just don't know. And really, it takes me, it reminds me of another movie, Master and Commander, Mm -hmm. where there's a scene where... And, you know, I I don't remember all the boats offhand or the ships offhand for that one. But there's a scene where everything's really quiet. And they thought that they saw, say, the the enemy ship or the French ship, maybe what it was. And it slips into the fog. And everybody's trying to see what's going on. And 
that's kind of what you hear. It reminded me of that. It's like, hey, there's something potentially going to become, or maybe there's not. We don't quite know yet. And that's maybe, you know, what they always say. It's spookier, the, uh, you know, that unknown factor. So you, yeah. you don't know what's coming. So maybe that's a bit more scarier, or at least it, it builds that tension more than you know that something's going to jump out. The point is you don't know if something's going to jump out at you. And that's maybe where the fear is greatest. Yeah, it keeps you kind of on the edge of your seat waiting for something. Exactly. So... You know, unless you have anything else, I guess that wraps up Minute 1. So we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 2 of The Curse of the Black Pearl on the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. Until then, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. Are there, matey. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. And visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter for additional content and post-episode discussions.